welcome to Meanwhile in the Future. This is our 10th episode ever, which is very exciting. If you're new to the show, here is how it works. Every week we imagine a particular future. Everything from antibiotic resistance, to space pirates, to people putting cameras in their eyeballs. Every episode we start with a little audio field trip into that future. Then we come back to now and we talk about it with experts. It's pretty simple, so let's get started. This week we're going to start in the year 2061. the Federal Aviation Administration's Flight Application Service. We encourage you to visit FAA.gov, where you can find information about licenses, air traffic, trainings, and regulations. For information about pilots' licenses, press 1. For information about Federal Aviation Regulations, press 2. To apply for a commercial flight, press 3. Due to recent regulations, Commercial air travel is restricted to United States citizens with urgent needs. The FAA reviews each flight application on a case-by-case basis. You can find an online application at faa.gov fly. Applications submitted online will be given priority over those submitted by phone. To continue your application by phone, press 1. Thank you for calling the FAA Commercial Flight Application Service. Due to recent regulations, commercial air travel is restricted to United States citizens with urgent needs. The FAA reviews each flight application on a case-by-case basis. We encourage citizens to apply for flights online at faa.gov fly. To continue your application by phone, stay on the line. If you are applying for a flight to a funeral, press 1. If you are applying for a flight to volunteer for emergency aid, press 2. If you are applying for a flight for any other reason, press 3. You will be asked to provide your 9-digit social security number along with a detailed message on the nature of your trip. So in this future, we've limited commercial air travel to emergency situations only, due to concerns over carbon emissions. And even today, those concerns are very real. If you fly from New York to Europe and back, you're responsible for a warming effect that's the equivalent of two to three tons of carbon dioxide. To put that into perspective, the average American generates 19 tons of carbon dioxide every year. Air travel doesn't account for the majority of global warming in the world. Scientists estimate that it's responsible for about 5%. But it's a really easy thing to target. Just last month, the EPA said they would start regulating the greenhouse gas emissions from America's commercial aircraft. And what those regulations will look like is still unclear. But let's pretend that in the future, we ban it altogether. You can think of oil and of carbon that we've been cocooned in it. We've been cocooned in crap. And so our interactions with reality are actually less vibrant and vivid and fun. That's Kim Stanley Robinson, a science fiction author. He's written books like The Mars Trilogy, 2312, and most recently, Aurora, in which humans take a Noah's Ark-like spaceship to colonize a new planet. A lot of his books think about the ways in which our current environmental issues might play out, things like overpopulation, sea level rise, and terraforming other planets. Robinson actually likes the idea of a world without commercial air travel. I think things will slow down, and these other methods like 
uh, hot air balloons or dirigibles or mm, human pedal power or futuristic solar panels, uh, it seems to me that we would have to accept slowing down in air travel, but I don't think that would be a bad thing. I'm remembering this children's book by William Penney Dubois called The 21 Balloons, where balloons were hooked up and, and you had like a circular gallery that people would live in, like a, a floating hotel. Or Jules Verne, The Clipper of the Clouds, where you simply had really big uh, dirigibles or even sailing ships in the sky. Um, I think it could be quite beautiful. Without planes, people will turn to other forms of transportation, like trains and cars and maybe even dirigibles. But changing the speed at which people can travel changes a whole lot of other things, too. I mean, <laughs> there's a romance of trains. I mean, I, I get it. I like trains. But, I'm, you know, just think about what a, a train ride from New York to San Diego might be. That probably take up, you know, maybe five days. And, yeah, that's kind of nice. But do you really have five days that you can spend on a train to go back and forth? You might be staying longer on a particular place that, you know, if you go to San Diego, you might only do it every three years, but once you go, you'd stay there for five weeks. That's Matthew Zook. I'm a professor at the University of Kentucky, uh, and this year I'm actually the uh, state geographer for the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And Zook points out that we actually know a lot about what it would be like to live without airplanes. The scenario I've been mostly using in my mind is it's 1950s with the internet and uh, modern planes. But, you know, back in the 1950s, a lot of people didn't fly, but there were flights that were taking place. But it was only, essentially, it was the wealthy and the military that was flying around. It's also worth pointing out that there are a lot of people in this world today who can't afford to just hop on flights all the time. But if those who do travel are now spending days to weeks getting to their destinations, not only would they probably spend more time in the places they go, they'd also probably choose to go different places. You do see most, you know, you know historically, there are, most people, I mean, around, say, the time of the Civil War, most people didn't really go much beyond 20 miles from where they were born. Uh, and I do think the you would then, you know, do all your sort of normal activities uh, within a sort of a more physically limited sphere. You know, who you might meet and marry, uh, where you might work and things like that. And that extends to vacations, too. Just think about this, that whole, uh, what's it called? It was like all the sort of summer resorts in the, the Poconos and things like that, where, you know, people from New York City used to go away for weeks. These sort of grand hotel experiences. But part of that was, well, if you want to leave the city to escape the heat or have some vacation, they were being spatially limited. They didn't really, they didn't say, well, let's fly to to Germany or to, you know, Tokyo or whatever, where it's like, okay, well, for summer vacation, we'll go off to this, uh, you know, local resort. Robinson also imagines us rethinking our trade routes. Even with these freighters that are moving these massive containers, um, if they had sails that were up in the high atmosphere that were, in a sense, kites and became sailing ships with bigger crews, then there would be things for people to do. It would be an attempt towards full employment. I think a lot of uh, travel will make better sense going west to east, especially freight movements. Um, it, it could be possible that it would be cheaper to go and, and less of a carbon burn to go west to east like two-thirds of the way around the world than to go um, east to west one-third of the way around the world because you're going to want to be taking advantage of the prevailing winds, which are always going to be westerlies because of the rotation of the earth. And maybe even building cities in the ocean as waypoints for this new fleet of sailing ships. 
Yes, I think there will be things like, I've called them townships in the Mars novels, where, um, especially with rising sea levels, a lot of coastal towns are going to get drowned. People are going to be looking for new land. <clears throat> and it's possible to uh, imagine uh, ships that are, in effect, gigantic rafts the size of a small town that are put in, say, the Pacific Ocean current. They could kind of swirl around without much... Uh, guidance. They could probably stay at sea forever and be way stations for people to drop by at and resupply or places for people to live. On dry land, the fact that it takes longer to get places could also push certain political discussions. You know, the whole political system is based on senators and representatives being in uh, Washington, D.C. to make laws and all that stuff. Uh, And if they're no longer able to fly back, well, that's going to have, have an impact. Maybe they will you know, they certainly would have to, particularly people farther west, would certainly have to uh, to change things around. And, you know, if you want a, a really sort of out there sort of possibilities, you know, you maybe there'd be pushed to relocate Washington, D.C. to someplace that's more centrally located, to move D.C. to, say, Kansas or something like that. You could also see the U.S. becoming much more insular and sort of disconnected from global affairs sort of like it was pre-World War One and World War II, um, that sort of there's always a strong isolationist uh, strain within American politics. And if people are not, you know, used to going other places, then, you know, that is one of the things that counters isolationism. So maybe that, that would be a, uh, a possible outcome as well. And it might even make us all a little safer from the spread of certain diseases. If people weren't traveling by plane, it might be less, or it would be hard. It would be harder for diseases to uh, to propagate through uh, across long distances. Robinson firmly believes that people won't give up flying easily. People are inventive; they want to do what they want to do, and people are going to want to fly, and nothing's going to stop us from flying. But he's also an ardent supporter of regulations on carbon. I think at this point, government of the people, by the people, and for the people is our only escape from catastrophe. So I'm, I'm in favor of all these regulations. But if he wanted to celebrate the ban on air travel with the bouquet of flowers, he might be out of luck. Mother's Day and Valentine's Day will involve a lot less flowers. Because uh, that's one of, that's, that's one of the, the key... Uh, things that gets transported great distances uh, through air travel. I mean, because it's relatively high value and perishable. So, uh, yeah, you know, the Valentine's Day will now, you know, be celebrated by giving your true love a cabbage. environmental impact of flying and how ending those flights might impact the world, head to gizmodo.com. There will also be a bonus 10th episode surprise. You should check it out. Meanwhile in the Future is a podcast from Gizmodo. It's produced by me, Rose Eveleth, with help from the Gizmodo staff. The intro music is by Asura, and the outro music that you are listening to right now is by Broke for Free. Special thanks this week to Kate Nibbs, Brent Rose, and Alyssa Walker. If you have ideas for possible futures we should be imagining, we would love to hear them. You can leave them in the comments, say hi on Twitter, or send us a note at overthinkingit at gizmodo.com. That's all for this future. Come back next week and we'll go to a different one.